Blog Talk Radio. from the comfort of our, our living rooms. 
so it's it's been really weird, but I've been staying busy. Like I said, I've had, I've had two books so far come out this year. Um, I've been working on writing other stuff and creating more stuff in addition to doing my full-time job in the corporate world. So it's, uh, it's been interesting. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's, it has been interesting. I have to agree. Cause in, dif- in, in addition to my corporate job, because everybody lost out on festivals this year, I've been trying to cram in as many shows as I can because folks have yeah. really lost a great deal of income not being yeah. able to do these in-person things. So, you know, up until Yule, I have, in some cases, four shows in a row, you know, which I'm grateful right. for. Don't get me wrong. Anything mm-hmm. I can do to help the community is, you know, worthwhile, in my opinion, and I can always sleep in January. Uh, right. But, <laughs> yes. Well, you and me both, well, sister. Then, I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, I'm hoping that things go back to uh, at least some kind of semblance of we can be in person. I don't know if there'll be a vaccine at that point. I kind of hope there is because uh, mm-hmm. I sure would like to see folks in person again. It's been a really yeah. long time. And, uh, you know, but I'm – you know, I'm doing everything I can uh, to try to help, and I I hope it's I hope it's helping folks. That's all I can say. But anyway, yeah, your book is amazing, uh, badass ancestors. And you know, you and I were talking a few minutes ago that you wrote this book before COVID, obviously. But I'm amazed right. at how time. But I'm amazed at how timely it is. You know, so many folks have lost people you know, for multiple reasons, including COVID. And it just seems like this was the perfect book at the perfect time. Did you have any kind of an inkling? Is this something that you had been planning to write way before you did it? I mean, how did these, it's purely kismet. These things just seem to happen. And everybody's writing amazing books this year. But I, of course, you know, and I, you've heard me say this before, your writing style is probably one of my favorites because you don't go over my head, which I can actually understand, you know, I don't need a degree to understand what you're writing. It's very helpful, right, right. especially for, for me having COVID brain in the sense of, you know, all conversations seem to revolve around it. So it's like, right. holy crap, holy. You know? Yeah. So yeah, tell me well, about the I mean, process of getting to this, because this is amazing. Yeah, well, thank, first of all, thank you. I'm so glad you love it. I've, I've gotten a lot of really positive feedback from people so far. Um, so, yeah, so I actually wrote this book in over the summer of 2019. And obviously, I never sat down and thought, you know, this book is going to come in really handy if we ever are in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, you know, that was not <laughs> even something that was on my radar. Um, right. But I... <laughs> I think that it was it, it was it was a book that I had been sort of mapping out in my head for several years. It was something I had wanted to do um, because my ancestral veneration is a crucial part of my practice. It's really it's really the foundation of my my spiritual tra- tra- trajectory at this point. Um, 
So yeah. the way this kind of came about to actually fall into place, I had been doing workshops with people on working with their ancestors, and it's something I still do. I do them, I do them via Zoom now. Um, but it <laughs> yeah. was something I had sort of I'd written an outline and I had sort of mapped out a couple of chapters. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm low-key obsessed with my own genealogical research. Um, and I was chatting on Facebook one day with Alicia Gallo from Llewellyn Publications. And Alicia is yeah. also a big – she's she's really big into genealogy. Um, you know, she, she and I have ha- shared some really, really great stories about some just absolute batshit crazy stuff we found in our own family tree. And I mentioned to her, I was like, hey, you know what? I was like, I, I had to share this story with you about the, these people that I found. And um, I'm putting this in my book because I'm mapping out a book about working with your ancestors. And she was like, send it to me. Um, so, <laughs> so I was like, um, it's not finished yet. I have an outline and a couple of chapters. She's like, send it to me. Um, so I did. And she pitched it to the acquisitions team at Llewellyn. Um, and they liked what they were hearing. And I think, you know, one of the things that, people in the publish people not in the publishing industry don't often realize is that books are often written a year to a year and a half, sometimes two years before they're released. So the people in charge of deciding what gets read, they have to be thinking long range. They have to be thinking ahead. Um, so it was just kind of fortuitous that there have been several books about ancestor veneration that have all sort of been released in the last six months. Um, because yeah. these books were on the radar of the publishing companies, you know, a year, year and a half ago. Um, but working with Llewellyn was great. Um, Alicia is a, she's a dream to work with. She actually went to bat with me um, with the editorial committee um, because there was some question about whether they would keep my title of badass ancestors, and she really fought for it. So that's the reason it is called badass ancestors. Um, there, I think there may have been folks who wanted to change it, but she. Uh, she totally took up the baton and, and, and I got what I wanted, which was the title that I had chosen. So I think it's great. I I can't imagine why there was any kind of discussion needed for that title. Yeah. Badass answer. I mean it, it is fits. exactly it what fits. they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean I'm lucky enough to have women uh, you know, ancestors who are who are Strong, strong women, and hell yeah, my yeah. grandmother would have loved it if you'd call her badass to her face. Right? It. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was kind of the process. Like I said, I never set out to write a book that was like, you know, here's 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 a book to read during quarantine. That wasn't really the way it came about. Um, it was just all kind of very timely. And I think, I don't know, I think in a way there maybe maybe some of us felt like something big was coming and that it was time to start working with our ancestors. Um, I don't know how many of us could have predicted the specifics of 2020 um, because honestly, it seems like, you know, you know, I mean, we, we had the murder hornets, we had, you know, storms, we had COVID, we had all kinds of stuff going on. We got politics and everybody's just kind of over it. Like we just need to like turn the year off and turn it back on again and see if it works better. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't have pandemic on my bingo card this for this year. No, I, I don't know. No, <laughs> I had I had a lot of things on my bingo card, but that was not one of them. Yeah, seriously, not. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I I got lulled into a perpetual state of comfort, 
thinking that, you know, because politics, for the most part, not that we haven't had insane people before, but, I mean, the craziest thing I had ever dealt with before now was, Calling Dick Cheney evil, if you if you remember back that far to the to the Bush era, and uh, you know to me that had been, in my opinion, the worst administration ever. And the universe right. remember, remember remember <laughs> remember when we all got yeah. upset because Dan Quayle couldn't spell potato properly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I actually yeah. do remember that quite well uh, yeah. because I'm I'm older. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I remember all kinds of guffaws. I remember Gerald sure. Ford being clumsy. I mean, I remember oh, God, yeah. stuff before that. But, um, yeah, no, I, was not, I wasn't prepared for pandemic, and I wasn't prepared no. for insanity from the White House because we had right. a certain number of standards that we had gotten used to over decades. And that got blown up. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I I think one of the things that this pandemic has taught us, if nothing else, um, is that it's forced a lot of people to do a lot of uh, introspection and self-evaluation about who they are and what they stand for and how can they try to maintain some sense of normalcy. You know, we have all these large companies that all of a sudden they're like, hey, you know what, we can keep our staff healthy, we can keep our employees alive if we allow them to remote remote work, which we've never done before, you know, things like that. Um, so I think we're sure. seeing, I think we're seeing a lot of the good in people. We're seeing people who are coming together and helping their neighbors and trying to, trying to make the best of what is really a, a horrific situation. Um, so yeah. while I think this year has definitely shown us the worst in many people, I think it's also shown us, some of the good as well. And I think that's something to be valued. Oh, I agree. I mean, I, when this first, when this thing first hit, you know, and people were fighting hand over fist for toilet paper, you know, we oh, saw God, instances yes. <laughs> and were, I mean, funny as it sounds, it's true. You know, people yeah. were freaking out because the toilet paper was disappearing because we were all going to have apparently diarrhea um, I haven't heard that being <laughs> one of the symptoms, but okay. No. And, you know, no. at one point, yeah, and at one point we were in the grocery store and, um, you know, this one guy was upset. He was at the back of the line for toilet paper. It was about to all be gone. And we had an extra because he had picked up, Mark had picked up one, I had picked up one, and it was like, oh, well, we we have extra. Here you go. Have some toilet paper. And the woman saw him give this guy his toilet paper, and I had gone off to another aisle, and he went looking for at, um, a leave for me, and he couldn't uh-huh. find it. And the woman who had witnessed him giving up his toilet paper decided that was her opportunity to help him out and find my leave. <laughs> so, I mean, it was oh, wow. part of the chain reaction. Yeah, yeah. So people, yeah. When people do nice things for each other, it makes other people want to do more nice things for each other, which is really cool. Right. So we actually got to see firsthand some of the really nice things that people are willing to stop and do to help each other out. Unfortunately, yeah, sure. it seems, though, like we've gotten away from that because leadership has been so lacking. And, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, 
I'm just, I kind of don't recognize shit anymore like I used to. Yeah. Things are way yeah. different. Well, and it's, it's and not it's, only not it's only that we're all go- Yeah, well, not only that, we're all going stir crazy. I mean, I haven't been in a bar in 6 months, you know, not to say I wasn't doing my share of drinking the first two months. I mean, by by the end of May, I was kind of like, god, I've gained 30 pounds and I need a liver transplant at this point. But, you know, uh I think I think people are starting to go a little nuts. We're tired of staying home. And so People are like, yeah, I got to go to Cracker Barrel, open it back up, or whatever. Right, right, right. Oh, I've needed a whole new wardrobe three times. You don't even want to know. But, right. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> yoga pants for life, sister. <laughs> I'm telling you what, if I, see, and if I were allowed to work from home, honey, <laughs> I would be in night clothes all day, every day. I like comfort. But yeah, well, you know, you think that, yeah, Yeah. I was just going to say, I've worked, I've worked from home since 2013. And as somebody who is a veteran work from homer, uh, if you work in your pajamas, you are far less productive. Like I get up every day and I put on real pants and I, you know, like once I put on earrings, as far as I'm concerned, I am ready to take on the world. Um, You know, so I, my, my commute is super easy. I just step over the dog on my way to the coffee pot in the morning, but I, I still have to force myself to like, you know, make an effort because otherwise I'm just kind of loafing around in my pajamas. See, and I, as somebody who had worked for several years remotely, I found mm-hmm. that the more comfortable I was, the not only was I more productive, but I was willing to work longer hours, which my company mm. loved. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's she's up at six. She's finishing at six p.m. Hey, yeah. we're getting more time out of her. This is amazing. Right? You know, it's not she like can I wear pajamas. Where... Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm I I don't have a commute, so I don't have right, to go anywhere. Exactly. I mean, it was very convenient. Very convenient. And I think some people hate working from home. Uh, as a matter of fact, Mark, yeah. who I mentioned earlier. He does not, he's one of these folks that says, oh, hell no. If I can go into the office, really? that is life. Oh, yeah, he hates working oh. from home. Because oh, my God, like I would me, go nuts if I had to go to an office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but see, his feeling is when, his, when he's working from home, his day is extended and he doesn't like that part. Because like me, mm. I work extra hours if I work from home. He doesn't want yeah. to do that, and he knows he will. Right. So for him, well, you have to you have to train like, yourself. Yeah, you have to train yourself to walk away from it. Like I have an office in my house, and once I'm done at the end yeah. of the day, I walk I walk away from it. And I don't go back in there until the next day. Ah, okay, I get it. You have a separate office in the home that you can close the door and say, "Okay, I'm done." Yep. Exactly. That's if right. I was sitting on my couch, That's I'd right. be working twenty four seven. But no, I have an actual office space. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, I, I, I actually, I had been complaining on Facebook because my coworkers refuse to wear masks, and oh. I'm the only one in the office who wears a mask. The minute I get up from my desk, I put that thing on, and I don't take it off until I'm back at my desk. And this right. has been an ongoing argument for months at my, my place of business. 
where I'm like, uh, one more goddamn time, you fuckers. <laughs> you, you spend another day <laughs> not wearing masks, and I'm definitely going to have problems. So Monday I am calling for a meeting, and I'm going to say, you have two options. Wear the mask, or I'm working from home. You can decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's inexcusable to not wear a mask when you're around other people. I do. Right. Well, and, you know, and the thing is, it's, you know, it's not about, it's not about you and what you need. It's about protecting the good of the community. People are so um, individually focused. They're like, me, me, me. I don't want to. It's icky. It's dumb. It's a hoax, whatever. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, if you want to protect other people from whatever you're carrying around, put on a fucking mask. It's not that hard. It's it's really not. I mean, I know people don't like wearing them. Well, I don't no, like wearing does. them. Yeah, but you do it because that's what we do. As we make a decision as a society that we're going to look after each other, or at least right. that's what I thought. This is another thing yeah. about you know this particular period of time where people are just like giving in to their worst instincts, and it's really mm-hmm. kind of unnerving when you yeah. actually want to consider other people and you know they're not considering you back. It's kind of, it's aggravating for sure. It's aggravating. Right. Well, you know, I look so. at it this way. I don't, want to wear, I don't want to wear pants or shoes, but I put them on when I go to a restaurant. I mean, it's not that hard, you know. <laughs> and, and to me, it's like, well, one day maybe we'll just experiment and not put on pants and shoes. There you go. Right. Yeah, you maybe like I'm, it. Just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to go to Kroger with no pants on. Stop infringing on my freedom. I don't, I don't, I don't honor the idea of pants. Seriously, I don't see that. I mean, all kidding aside, though, it, it's a simple thing to to just wear briefly. You know, if you have sure. a quick errand, just put it on, <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're not asking you to wear it continuously for eight hours at a time mm-hmm. unless you're in health care. Yeah, unless you're in a job right. where you are exposed constantly to people, then yeah. But anyway, getting back to the book, because I want to talk about the yeah, book. Yeah, let's talk about so, the book. <laughs> let's, let's do that. Let's talk about the book. I want to talk about the book. So, I a couple of the, well, aside from the fact that I really like the book, there's things that you go into that I really appreciate as far as finding out who your ancestors are. Because sometimes mm-hmm. folks don't know. And I sure. love the fact that you actually go into ways to search for your people. Yeah. Are these yeah. things that you had to do yourself or did you have or did you have to research that for other folks or do you did you already have that whole genealogy for your family mapped out. Right. So I started researching my own family history when I was about 15. Um, And one of the stories that I think I told in the book is, you know, we were, we were at a family dinner and my great grand, who, by the way, I was terrified of as a child. um, She blurted out that my great something grandfather had killed himself and then had killed his or killed his wife and then killed himself. Um, so, you know, at first our thought was, well, she was just saying that to be spiteful and for shock value, but nope, turned out it was true. I have, I have a copy of the, the six page newspaper report from 1892. Um, 
but that was kind of what got it got me started in working together with my mom um, on working towards discovering our family tree. And this was back in the mid eighties. So back then, if you wanted to learn about your family, you had to, you know, you had to go to the library or you had to write letters and you had to send self-addressed stamped envelopes. Um, so as, uh, as time went on, um, you know, obviously the technology that we've seen in the past 20 and 30 years for doing that kind of research has just completely blown up. So mm-hmm. all of the stuff that I include in the book as far as here are what you, the things you can learn from this kind of record, here's how you can find that kind of record. It's all stuff that I've been, been there and done that, um, and I've made enough mistakes that I can share the, the correct way to do it. You know, I'm screwing up, so you don't have to. Um, I've got 35 years of errors on my side. Um, but it's all stuff that, that I've done over the years, and I've figured out what, you know, I'm a big fan of working smarter, not harder. Um, and if you yeah. can get accurate information and you can take it and use your own critical thinking skills to piece together the stories of these people that you've come from, then that allows you to take that, that genealogical knowledge and put it into play in a spiritual context. And, and I never started out to be like, oh, I'm, I'm ancestor work is part of my practice. I never intended for that to happen. It just kind of unfolded on its own as sort of a natural consequence of me doing all of this deep dive genealogical research. So the more I learned about my people and who they were and expanding that into things like what would they have eaten when they lived? What would they have, what kind of clothing would they have worn? You know, what was the political and social climate of the place that they left before they came to the United States? All this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It, it, to me, that's that's all part of the research. That's all part of what allows you to build the story. So I thought it was really important to share information with people about how do I find my people. Um, because anytime I do an ancestor workshop, people are always like, but isn't it expensive? Don't I have to pay someone? Well, you know, you can. Sure, you, you can pay for a subscription to Ancestry. Hell, you can hire a professional genealogist if you want to. But right. if you use the information that's out there for free, there's a lot of stuff that you can unearth. And if you use, use your critical thinking skills, you can put it together and figure out what comes after that. So that was, I thought that was a really important part, an important component of working with your ancestors because you can't work with them if you don't know who they are. You have, say, like everybody pretty much died before I was mm-hmm. born as far as anybody beyond my my mother and father. So sure. what I did was I went to my mother's side and, you know, my I had one grandmother still alive, so I got as much detail as I could from her. Yeah. And now that she's now that she's passed, like she's my link to yeah. everybody before her. So, you know, when depending on the holiday, you know, I'll put out different types of fruits and nuts. She loved chocolate too. So mm, chocolate my kind of gal. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. She loved race she she loved ponies. She loved pasta and she loved dessert. <laughs> Those were her nice. Things. So 
you know, but everybody who came before her, I revere through her. So because I, there's so many people that I could go back through, but I feel like I have my direct link on that side. So I honor her. Now, is, is it appropriate or is it okay if you like incorporate ancestor veneration in basically your daily rituals? Some I do daily rituals. I don't know. Some folks mm-hmm. do, some folks don't. Um, is there a special time? You know, we're, we're near Samhain. It's the thinning of the veil. Um, is there something, you know, in addition to the normal practices that I should be adding at Samhain specifically? Mm-hmm to revere my, my ancestors? Well, I'm always reluctant to use the word should when we're talking about people's spiritual practice because your spiritual practice is as unique and personalized as you are. So I would never tell anyone, well, you should do this. You should do that. What you need to do is this. But there are definitely, I think this time of year, especially, you know, everybody's, everybody's always interested in ancestor work when Samhain approaches. Um, so what I typically do is I have an ancestor altar that's in place all year round. It's right there in my living room. I walk past it a dozen times a day. Um, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's front and center, but it's, it's, it's certainly noticeable. You know, it's one of those things that it's part of my daily routine. And I talk to my people as I walk by and I make sure that, you know, the offering plate has things on it. And I make sure that the cup of beverage is full. Um, so I interact yeah. with my people on a daily basis. Um, usually I find that certain times of the year they seem to be chattier. Um, so uh-huh. I think it's really important this time of year to listen a little more deeply. Um, this seems to be when they are super active. So for people who maybe haven't done as much ancestor work in the past, this is a really good time to open up that door and say, hey, I know you guys are out there. I know that you've got messages for me. I'm, I'm here and I'm listening. What, what do you got? Hit me with it. Um, because they do seem to be more, yeah, they seem to be more active. But I think as far as, you know, how often you work with them or the types of rituals you do with them, that's going to depend on your people and what you hope to gain or accomplish or achieve with your interaction yeah. with them. Yeah, like, you know, I keep, at all times, there's a glass of gin and mm-hmm. a glass of whiskey. And Yeah, mine like whiskey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my gods drink better than most people do. Oh, <laughs> say it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've got Glenlivet and um, Sapphire, Bombay Sapphire Gin on tap oh, nice. at okay. all times. To yep. keep them happy yep. and flowing. It's like, yes, please, here's an offering. Yes. And I love that you talk about offerings in the book to your ancestors, too. And, yeah. you know, I should I have a separate, and I meant to ask you this prior to our conversation today, should I have a separate glass uh, of of whiskey for an ancestor who would drink it or is it okay to have the one glass or because I have, instead of having a bunch of different altars in different areas, Mm -hmm. I have like, I have four in different parts of the house, but in my main on, on my main altar, it is a five tier altar. 
So I have, mm-hmm. like, ancestor veneration on one tier. I have current stuff happening on another tier, um, god and goddess stuff on the top tier. Uh, so is, oh, cool. Is that, yeah, so I keep a lot of it in one space, as it were, because it's a tier, sure. it's a five-level sure. altar. So would it be appropriate to put another glass because, of, of course, my grandmother loved to drink. She especially liked beer, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to up oh, the okay. game um, with some whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, here, I'm not, I, don't, I don't need to buy another type of alcohol for you, do I? Have a nip of this, Mommy. <laughs> so, so I so, guess I yeah, so. should get her her own glass, right? Well, you know, I, I typically have one or two glasses specifically for my ancestors. And like you, I have multiple altars in my house. I have like my main working altar, which is where I do the bulk of my, my magical stuff. Um, uh-huh. And my, 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 you know, my uh, Sabbath rituals and what have you. Um, but then my uh-huh. ancestor altar is a separate space in the same room. So I typically have, um, in my case, it's usually either a glass of uh, 21-year Glenfiddich or Spanish yep. wine or something like that, depending on which yep. group of ancestors I'm working with. So if you've got it all sort of in the same space but still, like, delineated as separate, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you can, you can put it in the same space there's, there's, unless, okay. unless your ancestors hint to you that they don't like that um, and – Odds are good if they don't, they'll tell you. Oh, no doubt. I was actually, before I started putting out uh, whiskey and gin, I had been putting out red wine. And at one point, mm-hmm. and I think it was because I had run out of rum at one point. So I was I was like, oh, well, here's the alcohol I have in the house. Have some red wine. And yeah. And, and nothing was moving. And then all of a sudden I woke up one morning and there was a film on top of the glass. And I was Ooh, like, oh, okay, way. that's weird. So I threw out everything in the glass, glass again, refilled it mm-hmm. with red wine, put it back on the altar. Two days later, there's a film on the damn glass. I'm like, you, you hate this, obviously. Yeah, that's, so that's here's I, your sign. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they'll make it damn obvious if they're not approving what you're giving. There's no question yeah. about it. But, man, I'll tell you what. Since I moved to Bombay Sapphire and Glen, Glen Fittich, uh or Glen Livet, rather, uh, I haven't had one complaint. So I think I'm all right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think sometimes wow. it depends on, you know, I think sometimes you have to do a little bit of experimentation to figure out what they want. I had, um, and and I've told this story in workshops before, but I had a situation a couple of years ago where, so I'm not a big wine drinker. I, I just, it's not that I dislike wine. I'm just, not, there's other things I'd rather drink, but people always give me wine sure. as gifts. Um, yeah. Like all the time. I have like, like I could, you know, <laughs> I could hunker down in my house and drink a different bottle of every of stuff for like every night for a month. Um, but a few, a couple of years ago, I went to an event and there was like a, a wine exchange. Like every person had to bring a wrapped bottle of wine and you just swapped it out like a white elephant kind of thing. And so everybody brought sure. a different bottle of wine than what they came with, which, which was cool. I was like, all right, whatever. I can save it for guests. 
So I brought home this bottle of a Spanish red wine called Hacienda Monasterio. And Hacienda Monasterio is like, I can't buy it around here. Like you have to have it delivered. It's that kind of wine. It's like 40 or 50 bucks a bottle. Um, But it's made, I know, I know. It's made from a grape called the Tempranillo, which only grows in a, a certain part of Spain. So I had this bottle of Spanish red wine, and I'm like, you know, this looks really nice, but I am never going to drink it. What the hell am I supposed to do with it? So I kind of stuck it up on top of my refrigerator with all the other bottles of wine that I never opened, and then I sort of forgot about it. And but I but I felt like I was like I felt like there was something special about that bottle. Like this isn't just like a six ninety nine bottle of yellowtail that someone got at Aldi. This is like good wine. So I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to this bottle of wine just in case. So fast forward about a year and a half, and I had a situation that I knew I needed some magical intervention with. Like I had I had a working that I really needed to do. And I wanted to involve my ancestors, but none of them seemed like a very good fit for it. None of them seemed appropriate for it. So I was like, well, all right, I'll I'll get to it when I get to it. So as I'm digging and as I'm doing my research, I suddenly managed to unlock information about one branch of my family that I'm able to trace back to uh, King Ferdinand of Spain, King Ferdinand of Castile. Yeah, yeah, he was like my thirty. Cool. He was like my thirty-fourth great-grandfather, or something like that. And I was looking at Ferdinand, and I was reading about him. He was later canonized as a saint, Saint Ferdinand or San Fernando. And I realized that Ferdinand was checked all the boxes. He was like the perfect ancestor to work with for this particular thing that I wanted to do. And I thought to myself, well, I wonder if that Spanish wine might come in handy. So I looked at it, and I realized that was when I had, like, one of those aha light bulb moments. The Tempranillo grape, which is what Hacienda Monasterio is made from, is only grown in one place in the world, and that is Castile, Spain. So I thought to myself, it's a sign. I need to – here I have this ancestor – who was the king of the region where this grape grows. And now I'm holding a bottle of wine that could be made from grapes that grew, you know, on, in his, the same grapes that he drank his wine from. Um, so I cracked the bottle open and I made him an offering and I did my working. And two weeks later, everything unfolded exactly the way I wanted it to. And then some, so it was just one of those fluke things. It's like, okay, I've got this bottle of wine. I'll just hold on to it. And I made that offering with, with great joy. So. Wow. That's really yeah. cool. So, so I would take from that, even if you wind up with something that you don't think you'll use in that regard, mm-hmm. don't, mm-hmm. don't poo-poo it. It is probably coming into your hands for a reason. Right, because at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's not about what I drink. It's not what about what I like. What it's about right. what, what's a, an appropriate offering for my ancestors, and that bottle of Spanish wine was one hundred percent appropriate for that particular ancestor. And I'm so happy that I happen to have it. And uh, you know, I don't know if anything's a coincidence or random or not, but uh, it it certainly worked in my favor. It's weird because sometimes I think of those things as sometimes I think of everything as being random and not being at all random at the same time. 
Right. Which like, is it's weird. a coincidence, but I don't actually believe in coincidences. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's like, oh, no, that's got nothing to do with magic. Because I'm always like, right. let's look at the mundane first before we just assign a magical reason. Let's not yeah. get all ooh about it, you know. What, what, right. So, and because normally stuff there is a logical reason. I'm not pooing magic, yeah. obviously. Oh no, no. To, I don't ascribe everything to being of magical content because sometimes shit just happens. Yeah, but and anyway. I think that's one of the mis- I think that's one of the mistakes we often make in the magical community is we just assume everything has a magical reason for it, and sometimes the answer is nope, shit just happened. That's just the way it works. Um, or sometimes exactly. stuff happens because sometimes things happen because we make terrible choices. Um, you know, yes. all kinds of reasons. It's so true. It is so true. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know. You mentioned in the book dealing with your ancestors as far as, you know, doing divination with them. And yeah. I actually I actually did that with my grandmother. Um mm-hmm. and she comes up a lot for me cuz she's the only she's the only elder in my family that I actually got to spend time with. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I had wanted something and she was still alive and this thing happened in my life and I had to make a choice and she fell into a coma because she was having surgery <gasps> and the coma oh, wow. well, the coma wasn't yeah she was she was having an operation for lung cancer and they got the cancer but she went into the coma because of the anesthesia she was 76 oh. at the time and oh while she was in, I actually talked talked to her while she was in her coma, and I definitely feel that that she heard me. And when she got uh, on the other side, she actually um, interceded for me in a couple of things. And yeah, I, I still still appreciative of that to this day because the trajectory of where I wanted certain things to go went there. Now, the road mm-hmm. wasn't easy, but she No, no, it never is. Out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I do believe that, that, you know, I believe our ancestors can intercede for us and uh, help us out from, from oh, the, absolutely. the other side of the veil. So I'm, I'm really, that's part of why I love this book, of course. Because good, it doesn't good. It, it doesn't. The book doesn't make it scary, and it doesn't make it beyond anybody being able to do it. There are some books right. that are, I think, almost like they want you to be overly cautious, or it's not that you shouldn't be cautious. I'm just saying sure. that the way you put things and your writing style is such that you empower folks to be able to feel like they can do it too. In a real sense. Well, I hope which so. Which I love. Yeah, and I thank you for that, and, and I hope so. You know, one of the things I've always said is that my goal in presenting information, I don't want to lecture at people. That's, you know, if I wanted to do that, I'd be in a different line of work. Um, I want to have conversations, and I want yeah. people to read this book and any of my other books, and I want them to feel like we're sitting at the kitchen table having a cup of coffee talking about magic and shit. Um, and yeah, 
the thing, <laughs> you know, the, the thing with ancestor work is ancestor work is not paganism does not have a monopoly on ancestor work by any stretch of the imagination. You know, um, right. ancestor veneration has been around for a really long time, and it's something that people of every culture and religious background can do. You know, ancestor work does not care what your religious beliefs are, or even if you have any, it doesn't care about the color of your skin. It doesn't care about your socioeconomic status. Ancestor work is yeah. for, it's not for, it's not for everybody, but it is for anybody. And that's another thing I love about the way you write, because you write for everybody. You don't include, mm-hmm. I don't ever, you know, I am multiple things aside from female and, and gardenarian and a mother sure. and a wife. There's other there's other things in me in my spectrum of being, and none of me ever feels rejected by your books, ever. I hope so. Not. I'm really I, you know I I, I I I know you work hard. I'm sorry. On go that, ahead. And I know that's in, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I know that's important to you, and I and I know um, that that's meaningful to you, and it shows because you don't. I've oh, never good. felt. Like I said, no part of me has ever felt excluded by anything of yours that I have ever read that you've written. I'm so glad to hear that because I I really wanted to make sure that this was a book that everybody felt inclusive, Um, especially in this day and age where there is so much chaos and there's so much hate and anger. The last thing I want is for somebody to read one of my books and think to themselves, wow, this is for everyone except me. I, I wouldn't ever want right. anyone to feel that way. Um, and, and if they did, I would, I would feel like I'd failed somehow. Um, but, you know, and, and that's one of the things, too, that, that I talk about in there is, like, you know, we have ancestors who were not all of our ancestors were like us. You know, right. they may have right. been on any any range of the sexual identity spectrum. They may have been any color. They have been different religions. Um, but once the veil, all of those things, you know, death is the great equalizer. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's so true. I mean, we're all going somewhere, and we may all wind up together. So we ought to treat each other that way on this side of the veil. Right, right. So, you know, I mean, but the other things I love about it, because, I mean, this book is not just a couple of things. This book is a lot of things. You put recipes in here that are just amazing. I love the fact (laughs) that you do that. So (laughs) I I always tell people. References. You're so good. Yeah. I love you. Oh, (laughs) well, I always. I always tell people that food is my love language. I mean, it really is. I'm, I'm all about yeah. hospitality and I've always felt that the best way for me to show somebody I love them is to offer them food that I've prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I tend to lean towards uh, cooking and preparing foods from scratch because I have the ability to do so. And I know that not everybody does. Um, but right. I think if you want to offer your ancestors a meal, I mean, how powerful and connective would it be to learn how to cook something that they might have eaten in their place and time? Um, and I think right. breaking bread breaking bread with someone is a huge bonding experience. And even if that someone has been dead for a hundred years, it's, you can still do it. Um, 
So yeah, so including the recipe section, that was something that I thought, you know, that'll at least give people a kickstart and give them some ideas for what they can prepare for their own ancestors when they sit down for a meal with them. And I wanted to ask you, um, when you're done with that meal, how mm-hmm. what do you do with it once it is no longer appropriate to keep it on the on the altar? Oh, so that's an excellent question. So for organic material, like fruits or vegetables, I typically uh-huh. compost them into my garden. Um, for things uh-huh. like bread, I'll take it outside and I'll leave it on a plate for the birds and the squirrels in my neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. those, are, those are the big things that I typically offer. If you've prepared anything that's not going to decompose on its own or get eaten by the local wildlife, you can always dig a hole and bury it. Or if you have a bonfire, mm-hmm. you can put it in the fire. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. I live one in thing, an urban thing, area. You, you so don't, I, yeah, you don't want to throw I, it in I a have, trash can with, have like, all the rest of your shit. Yeah. Right. No, I don't ever do that. Like, you know, even if I'm getting, like, if I get a delivery of misfits, because you and I both get misfits. Mm-hmm. Um, Love my a, misfits. A vegetable. Me too. My box is actually outside right now. Somebody's picking it up. I hear them. Um but, Ooh. you know, whenever we do anything with a fresh box for Misfits, we take something out and make an offering with that. And that's yeah. what I do with all of the food stuff offerings that we do anyway. You know, you, yeah. some some for the gods and some for us, you know. But that's right. cool. I'm right. curious as to what you suggested as far as what to do once the, the meal is completed, so to speak. But that's a, that's a great thing. Now, I, do, I did notice the herb butter um, recipe in the book. Yes. And I had to ask, because I saw you had made butter today. So I, I did. Said, I know. Uh, you, have, you have not experienced true taste bud heaven until you have made your own uh-huh. butter from scratch. It is the easiest thing in the world to make. It is so easy. Like, you need heavy cream. That's it. Uh-huh. Um, and oh. so there are different ways you can make it. That's it. Like, I add a pinch of salt to mine because I like salted butter, but you don't have to. Um, but just to make your basic butter, I mean, you can make it in a stand mixer, but if you do that, trust and believe that shit gets Flashy, and you're going to want to throw a towel over it or you're going to have butter all over your kitchen. Um, but you can make it in your, yeah, if you've got like a food processor or a Cuisinart, you can make it in there. The batch I did today, so this is kind of funny story. So my guy and I were at an antique mall about a month and a half ago. And one of the things I always look for at antique malls is a daisy butter churn. Which a daisy butter churn is basically a jar and on the lid, there's a crank and there's a little paddle that goes into the jar and you can sit on your couch and turn the crank and make butter. It takes a while. So I've been looking right. for one of those and I've never found one that was within my price range at, at an antique mall. Cause some of them, I mean, the guilt team for like a hundred, 150 bucks. Um, wow. So it was one of those things. Yeah. That's for the, for the original antique ones. And I was like, it's one of those things I couldn't quite justify buying for myself new. I just I was like, yeah, sure. that's kind of a, that's a splurge I don't really, I, I shouldn't do. So I had mentioned this to him. Well, my birthday was last weekend, and he got me a daisy butter churn. I was like, hell yeah, oh, fresh awesome. butter. 
So this afternoon, um, I sat on my couch and I watched a couple of episodes of Downton Abbey and I cranked and cranked and cranked and cranked and it took an hour, but I made butter. Oh, wow. That's so cool. And (laughs) and the cool thing about making your butter, though, is then you end up with, you know, the the byproduct, what's left over, the liquid, you have buttermilk. So tomorrow I'm going to make a loaf of bread and I'm going to make it with buttermilk and I'm going to smear my fresh butter all over it. Oh, I'm so excited. I can't stand it. Oh my gosh, that sounds delicious! Oh, yeah, so That's good. <laughs> well, if you go to the store and you get a thing, you get a you get a you get a carton of cream and bring it home and just you don't have to get a Daisy Butter churn because that is super time consuming. Throw it in your food processor. Right. Make sure the lid is on all the way, and just let that thing run for about five minutes. And then eventually, it, the cream will separate. You'll have curds and you'll have whey, and the curds, the clumpy part, that's your butter. Okay, so I have to ask, is it possible for me to make this in my Ninja instead of a food yeah. processor? Yeah, Good. absolutely. <laughs> I, I make mine in, yes, I've made it in the Ninja a lot. But here's the thing, you have to be patient because what will happen is when you put the cream into your Ninja and you put the, the, the motor on the top and you push the button down, so what's going to yeah. happen first is you're going to end up with what kind of looks like Cool Whip. It's going to be basically whipped cream. So that's the first step. Right. Then it's going to it's gonna take a while, and then you'll notice that it starts to thicken, and it kind of has the consistency of, like, country crock. Keep going. Yeah. Okay? So okay. once you get past <laughs> that, the third phase, it's going to separate into, like, clumpy parts and pure liquid. Yeah. That's your, the clumpy yeah. parts is your butter. Okay. <laughs> So you just you'll it'll it'll go it'll go faster if you let the cream get to room temperature before you do it. Okay, well that's good to know as well. So <laughs> if you need me to call me when you're doing this and I will walk you through it. We can FaceTime and you can show me what it looks like. <laughs> oh, no doubt, and that may be a necessity. Just so you know, thank you for the offer that, because that is that... fine. <laughs> Tony, help me. But um, we're <laughs> down to like five minutes. So, oh my gosh! In the time, yeah, I know. In the time remaining, uh, I'd like to know what you're currently working on. If you have another book in the works, when it's Ooh. due out, your subject matter, all the good stuff. Tell me, give me the four one one, lady. Uh, I'll give you the scoop. Okay, so I've got a couple of projects coming up. Um, one of them, I'm not officially allowed to make the announcement until next week, but <laughs> I can drop. But I can drop little hints that if somebody was interested in reading a book about radical self care and using witchcraft for healing and stuff like that that person might want to keep an eye on my website at pattywiggington.com and look for things in the coming couple of weeks, if something like that were to happen. Um, okay. <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, also mark your calendar for, uh, I think, November 10th, because that's when, if I had a book coming out, that's when it would be. Um, Interesting. But I'm not official. Yeah, I know. I know. So, But something else I'm working on that a lot of people, everybody knows I write witchy books. A lot of people don't realize I write fiction yeah. as well. Um, and I oh. actually have a novel that I'm finishing up 
working with a publishing company called Wild Rose Press. And uh, I'm hoping that sometime after the first of the year, I'll be releasing a novel. And it's a, um, it's a Regency era mystery. And it was a lot of fun. I've been writing it for like 10 years. And I finally decided to try to sell it to a publisher and they liked it. So hopefully that'll be happening uh, in January or February-ish. We don't have a release date yet, but it's coming. Wow. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited. We're gonna have to good, rebook good. for all of this. So I guess I'll I be know. you up next week for the next uh, for the next interview on the next book. I'm I'm or something or something. I, I would love that or be. something. Yeah, I, I would love or that. Something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are so fantastic, everybody. Seriously, Thank you. you know. This is this is a great book, Badass Ancestors. It's one of many books that Patty Wigington has has done. All of her books are fantastic. I'm actually developing quite the library, and I'm very proud of it. It is her writings are stuff that I give to younger folks who are first getting in, Aww. and and want to understand. Yeah, I do, um, and to my family, no less. Um, I nice. do. I do give her books to people in my family, in, including my children. Um, I'm very comfortable with Patty's writing style. Uh, not overly complicated, you know. Let's let's do things. Let's do them appropriately, but let's not overthink it, which I love because in time of COVID, or if you're just a busy business person. Um, mm-hmm. I already have enough to think about, y'all. Right. <laughs> I, mean, sometimes, I just need some, sometimes I just need to go to the book and say, okay, this is what I'm doing, and easy peasy, lemon squeezy. She's a fantastic person, a fantastic writer. Check out www.pattywiggington.com for all the scoop of what's going on with Patty. Patty, I adore you. Thank you so much for hanging out with me, Uh-oh. talking to me about the book, cooking, whiskey, all of it. I, I love you and can't wait to talk to you again. Oh, my gosh. You are so wonderful. You are one of my favorite people on the planet. I'm so glad we got to do this. And I miss your face. I hope we get to do Mystic South together next year. I do, too, because, I mean, Pat, if you've never met Patty in person, she's like one of the best huggers and makes the best smiles and best faces and is just this warm loving personality that you hear through your your uh, speakers is no act this is who she really is she is very loving very giving and probably one of the finest people I have ever had the pleasure to know so I adore you I hope other folks get to see you in person soon I sure as hell miss you, and I will talk to you very soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Again, I appreciate you so much. Uh, I appreciate you, too. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it there. I am on tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with the amazing Christopher Hughes to talk about his new book, As the Last Leaf Falls. So tune in. I know it's an early show. You can also listen to the show on Amazon Music afterwards. The podcast is now on Amazon. You can have your Alexa machine uh, play it for you, and it's it's a whole nother world for me to like. Somebody told it to say start playing the podcast, and I had to listen to myself 
for like three minutes and I started screaming and then it stopped, which was great. Anyway, you guys, see you tomorrow. Have a wonderful weekend. Take care, y'all. Bye-bye. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.